Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slasher U podcast, a college football podcast from Slasher Sports. I'm your host, Christian Brown, here with Steve Feck, and we are back after, I guess, a bye week now, Steve. If you can still hear a little bit in my throat, um, it was a forced bye week for the Slasher U squad. I was completely out of it to the fact where I couldn't even say a lick. What's going on, Steve? Welcome back. Oh, it's great to be back. You know, I mean, if college football can have buys, we can have a buy. You know, That's I mean, it's, it's it's not that bad. I mean, again, we, we we missed some things, but, you know, there's always time to catch up. It's not, not a big deal. That's right. Well, we apologize that we weren't with you last week. Um, I know we try to bring you content every day here on Slasher U, and we are going to continue to do that while we are. Um, healthy and able to do so, I guess that's going to be our disclaimer now, but we'll only keep that in fine print for this time being. <laughs> hey, my Buffalo Bills had a bye week. Maybe it was just my body telling it that that was the time to go. do it as well. I already told my wife to take out getting sick on Google Calendar for the rest of the year um, and for the foreseeable future. So hopefully that uh, continues. Hopefully I didn't forget to delete any of those reminders of reoccurring events. You know how that goes. Um, but let's hopefully that's not the case. What what's just the great thing about me having like my heart device and everything is you don't really know. I could just go off in the middle of the show. Ratings, ratings, ratings. I always talk about that with you. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going to keel over, let's hope we're doing a show. Yeah, that's true. Well, we're looking for heart stopping moments, but not that one um, <laughs> when it comes to Slasher U content. But we hope to really keep you entertained while we're here. Um, you know, while we are here, we do have a great episode for you today. We're going to break down some pretty decent topics. We're going to stay really for the most part outside of the Power Five today. Some topics that you might not hear on any other podcast, with the exception of probably uh, the first one we get to, you know, a firing we talk about. You've probably heard that a few times, but we're going to dig into it. Maybe a different aspect that you've heard. On some of the other main shows. Then we're going to dig into one of our favorite teams, get a recap on them, and take a snapshot of their conference, the Conference USA. We're also going to look at the MAC because we are one week away from MACTION. And, you know, and also talk about maybe Can't an independent wait. team. Yeah, MACTION's going to be fun. We're going to talk about an independent team and how good they are. And no, I'm not talking about the Fighting Irish. And then we will dig it a little bit into the Power Five with the college football playoff picture finally starting to take shape. And why maybe a certain team who is undefeated, might we add, is getting dismissed. So interesting there. And of course, Steve here, Steve is here. We're going to talk about the FCS because there was a plethora of fun, not just a plethora of safeties, a plethora of fun yes. in the FCS uh, this week. So a lot to get to break down into this one. It's going to be a whole bunch of fun. And let's start off right away with Charlotte. The 49ers fire their coach, Will Healy. After a one and seven start, Will Healy was hired in 2019. He comes in, uh, you know, brings Charlotte to a bowl against U University of Buffalo. They do lose that bowl. They were seven and six that year. 2020, obviously COVID year. You you can't really credit or or blame anyone for that year or any kind of performances. Half of their games were canceled. Uh, you know, Charlotte was just one of those teams that was caught in the crossfire multiple times. So you really, let's just call that one a wash. Last season wasn't very fun for them. And then obviously this year they start off one and seven. This one hurts in a little bit for me, Steve, you know, some compared to some of these other coaches we've seen, this is the first group of five firing that we've seen. This is the second opening technically, because UAB does have an interim coach since the summer. Um, but Charlotte is the first firing for a group of five coach with Will Healy here. It, the reason that hurts me is because I do feel like he's a great coach. I just feel like he was set up for really no success. He 
He didn't have a big salary to begin with, mm-hmm. right? Now, now, that is probably a benefit to him initially because that probably helped maybe some other candidates not come in. But he's a culture builder. I really think he does have that opportunity to do so. Absolutely. And with that being said, I think he had the opportunity to really try and develop that. We saw some really good progress in 2019. You know, COVID just hit him hard. And with the big transfer portal beginning, I think Charlotte really took a hit. I think this team and this program is a very attractive one, though. So although I do feel for Will Healy, I think he's going to find a job very quickly. I know his buyout's about $1.5 billion dollars which is pretty huge, to be honest, for a team like Charlotte. I don't think that Charlotte's going to pay the full amount of that because I do feel like he'll find at least a coordinator job with a Power 5 school. I do think that he is very uh, a good add add to whatever kind of school wants to grab them. Again, a culture builder. You put him on a Power 5 school, put him as a coordinator, probably get paid more than he did at Charlotte to do less and maybe focus more on the recruiting side of the house. But I do think this Charlotte job is very attractive. One, the location. And we know this, we talk baseball all the time uh, on, you know, in, in the past, not on Slasher U, but with Slasher Sports, you and I have talked mm-hmm. baseball. Charlotte's a very attractive community for all sports. Charlotte might be one of the teams that gets an expansion for uh, professional baseball. But talking about Charlotte in the college football aspect, this team is moving to the American, which is a step up from Conference USA. That means that they're probably going to have to pay their new coach a little more. Charlotte is a football town already with the Carolina Panthers. They're very close to a hub like Atlanta. Uh, you know, this is just a really good area. And I think that moving up from Conference USA to the American with a team that needs a, a program builder, because that's exactly where they're going to need, even though Will Haley, I think, brought a good culture, they still need to build up this program because of what happened with the transfer portal. They really are, uh, there's a reason they're one in seven. It wasn't bad coaching, it was this, this team needs some work. So I think there's going to be some great candidates, but uh, what's your overall thoughts here about the firing and uh, how this job looks? I was very surprised, even with the one in seven record, I was really surprised that they let him go. I think Charlotte's a great destination. It's a great campus. Uh, The facilities, um, they've been upgrading them since they restarted football. I mean, again, it's a relatively new program considering college football as a whole. But I really question if the administration is as all in on this as you seem to think they are. It's just, it's just little things that this firing just gave me. You sit back and say, Hmm, there's gotta be more to this than just oh well you're one in seven now admittedly they all got off to a pretty decent start last year lost their last three games and now you're one in seven so you know oh we're going to a new conference are you really going to find a coach that's going to be able to turn things around as quickly as will healy could have done i mean you remember that he came from austin p and that was a program that when i want to say went one in ten and then oh and eleven and two years later, you know, they had a winning record, you know, and and they, and they were in a tough FCS conference and he turned things around. I don't think he really was given the support that perhaps he needed. And I think that played to a degree, players picked that up. It's one of those 
subtle things. When you see players leaving a school, you're like, why would so many guys leave the school? I have a good coach or whatever it is. It's not the coach. It's generally where what they see as, okay, is this a hopeless situation or is the administration really behind us or whatever? I think that played as much into the transfer portal as the whole uh, COVID situation did. I mean, Charlotte was one of those programs that, okay, yes, I mean, they were in an area that was heavy hit by COVID, but they were also a program that it was easy to cancel a game against Charlotte as far as an out of conference game because they're you know they're not an upper echelon power 5 school that's going to get you a big payday very valid point all right so with that being said there are probably some other jobs within the conference USA basically those teams especially those teams i should say that are going to move over to the American Athletic Conference that might have some new coaching changes obviously charlotte's one of them uab as i mentioned before it's already open with the interim coach bryant vincent already being in place but there's a possibility like fau and rice also being some of those um new contenders and maybe even north texas i don't think that's really the case i think north texas is doing a pretty good job um, but there's that potential that could be in the thought as well Looking at that, Steve, I do think there are some pretty decent names that could get in the mix. And I do think it's because of that Charlotte area. That's really why I do point at a few of them. The first one that comes to my mind right off the bat is Pep Hamilton. We saw Pep Hamilton. Hmm. He's a Charlotte native. We've seen him as he's the offensive coordinator for the Houston Texans right now. But he did a fantastic job in, what was it, the XFL? Um, yes. or USFL, XFL, right? XFL. Um, yeah, with these so many different leagues in the last couple of years. Um, but yeah, he uh, he did a fantastic job there. I mean, that's why he's back with Houston. Being a Charlotte native, I think he could do a pretty good job there. We did see him work under Harbaugh and Shaw when he was with Stanford, right? So he does have college experience at the pretty high level too. Stanford during the Harbaugh and Shaw era has been a pretty good recruiting destination. I know Stanford's not having a good year this year, but in the generalness to it, I think Pep Hamilton would be pretty, pretty good. Um, there's a couple other names that I, I, I like as well. One that really does pop in my mind um, is a FCS guy. And you just talked about, that's what they did in the first place, bringing him in from, from Austin P. Well, what about a guy, the head coach from Campbell? I do think that that's a possibility, too. Mike Minter, he's the head coach. He's also a former Carolina Panther. Right there. Okay, so he has been with Campbell for about a decade. I know he doesn't have a winning record with them, but the fact that he has that kind of feeling, right, with Charlotte, could make that step up. Does Charlotte take that route? That's my question. Do they take the route to go to FCS again to get that career builder, that program builder, or do they try and reach for, hey, we're going to a new conference, let's go big? Let's try to get someone from the NFL, like a Pep Hamilton. Or let's try to get one of these, maybe these Power 5 coaches that just were released and try to get them to lead our team. We've seen that happen with some of the other group of five teams lately, like, for example, Clay Hilton, right? Clay Hilton is doing a fantastic job at Georgia Southern. The Charlotte take that route? I'm really interested to see what happens. But right now, I do see maybe a Pep Hamilton. I, I'm really leaning towards the, the, some kind of Charlotte relationship is where they're going to lean. That's where I do think is going to happen. You know, I hadn't even thought of Pep Hamilton, and that is such a great road to lead down. I, I mean, right, he is the ideal guy. I don't know that they go back to the FCS route, uh, though, again, you know, with, with Mentor. Okay, you know, he does have ties, you know, to the community. 
Um, he didn't get Campbell over the hump, all puns intended. I mean, that's Good. true, though. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I like that. Yeah, I like yeah, that hump, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. So, you know, they are the Campbell camels, in case you didn't know that out there, guys. But um, I, I think they have to go. I don't want to say big name. I think they have to go FBS coach. They they must feel that they have to make a splash to be relevant, you know, on the football landscape. Uh, again, not a power five conference, but uh, I, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around that, you know, and then I, I think Healy's going to end up somewhere where a coach, let, let, let's say West Point. There's a lot of talk of their coach moving on, I can see Healy going in there. He would fit well into that kind of a landscape, you know, where you, you develop a system, you you accept your, lim- your limitations, and then you just exploit that system the best that you can, keeping people off balance. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up at Georgia Tech. I mean, I know there's a lot more bigger names at Georgia Tech, but again, you kept hammering that nail. Culture builder, program builder, there are so many FBS schools out there that need that drastic overhaul. And I don't think Healy uh, backs down from a challenge. I, I, I would love to see how this plays out and how the explanations come out. I mean, I'm really fascinated by this. I'm still perplexed as to why this firing happened. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be performance. There's no doubt about that. And obviously, moving into the American, they have a lot of high expectations. And I don't blame them one bit whatsoever, because this is a step up. I mean, in my mind, with this new American, with what they're bringing into it, I do think that this is going to be the closest to a Power 5 conference without being a Power 5 conference. I think the Sun Belt has that right now, uh, with the American battling for it. But I think that the American is really going to take running from that with with that even though they are losing a few to the big 12 i think what they brought in is still going to uh, i think might take the tippy top over the sun belt i would love to say that he is going to be in the running for some of these coaching jobs like georgia tech will healy i just don't see that i don't see him getting fired from a one and seven group of five team and then being in the running for a power five school even though georgia tech or colorado is been one of those rough teams in the power five I just don't see it. I think that we're going to see Will Healy probably as a coordinator in a Power 5 conference. I could see that happen. Or if he wants to take the head coaching route, he might have to jump down the FCS for a few years to build that back up. I just feel like that's how the majority of programs are going to see his performance. Hopefully they they don't because we know that he is a good culture builder. We saw what happened before that in 2019, how they were. We'll see if that's the case moving forward. Regardless, though, I think that's where we're going to see Will Healy, either a head coach in the FCS level or a coordinated position um, in a Power 5 level. All right, Steve, let's talk about something a little more lighthearted, if you will, a team that is going to the American, like Charlotte, but right now Conference USA and the front runner in Conference USA. And what a football game that was between the UTSA Roadrunners and the Mean Green of North Texas. A 31-27 final, but, I mean, that doesn't even really describe this football game. This was a great one from the very beginning, and especially at the end. Take me through this one. I know you you watched it play-by-play. This was a fantastic football game. It, it was such a great experience, and I was able to share a lot of it, you know, on our Twitter feed. I, I, I don't want to focus on numbers. I don't want to focus on technical stuff because a i'm not a coach and b you hear that everywhere else i want to talk about the dynamic of a terrific football game 
with two teams that were coming out and ready to face off against each other and try to maximize their strengths. Now, ironically, as the game played out, North Texas, unbelievable rushing team. I think they had a 400-yard game the week before or, or very soon before this game. Had negative rushing yards in the first quarter. They did find a way to move the ball through the air with their archaic fossilized remain quarterback who used to be a, a minor league baseball player in on a UTSA. We've been talking about it all season. You know, you know, will they have the first trio of receivers to average a hundred yards a game ever in the history of college football, at least at the, at the, at the top level, they really found it. They were more effective running the ball throughout the game. Even again, it was a six, three halftime scores. So you're like, well, what are you talking about? What, whatever offense was happening, it was the opposite of what you would expect. Right. And as far as the defensive strengths, you know, North Texas has been giving up a bunch of passing yards. And again, it was surprising to them to give up the run and UTSA really completely shut down the running game. So it was, I think it's only fair when you're keying in one aspect of a team's offense. I think you're prone to uh, have miscoverages when they do throw the ball, when you're not expecting it, when, when everything is geared to the front seven. So it, it was, it was such a, an interesting game to watch unfold because it's like, but I didn't expect, I didn't expect six, three at halftime. And I didn't expect these teams to be successful. They were where they were, but they, Punch for punch, drive for drive, they matched it. And that is what makes a great football game. Yeah, this had Western Kentucky game vibes all, all through it, especially in the second half, I should say, because the first half, it started a little slow, kind of like FIU, not going to lie. Um, I was a little nervous at first with Frank Harris uh, and the offense because there was, what, the interception in the first minute of the football game. There was the fumble. There was another mishap, I believe, already in the second half. But the defense did a fantastic job stopping North Texas to only a couple field goals. And, you know, obviously UTSA gets one themselves. Obviously, when you look at this team, defense has been a struggle for the majority of the season. You know, when we talk about this team, we're really talking, usually talking about Frank Harris. He's usually at the top of the leaderboard in passing yards, how these wide receivers are so good. We have a guy that plays defense or was on defense two weeks ago and now is a starting, what, left tackle, left guard. Mm -hmm. um, so, this offense is, is incredible. Usually we're talking about the woes on defense. The front seven really did a great job this they week. They were great. Fantastic. You talk about North Texas being a running team. Well, they only had 22 yards total rushing on this one. On 21 attempts, might I add. Now, one of their touchdowns was a rushing touchdown. It was on a pretty great option. Don't get me wrong. It was a That was a great run. Um, yeah, I, I really did think that was, was, was great for North Texas. It was in a very crucial time, might I add, too, towards the end of the football game. But... The second half rolled around, and UTSA woke up. North Texas really kind of woke up, too. And just like you said, they went pound for pound. At the end of the game, Frank Harris took over. And all the woes that he had at the beginning of that football game, where he had the interception, he had the fumble, he had the mishap, we, you, he had nothing to worry about. He started looking good. He started taking the ball into his old hands. He started to call his own number a few times and looked well doing it, especially on a pretty important fourth and one. That wound up getting into a, I believe, a 13-yard gain for him. And that really started setting up their 
uh, their comeback. I, I really like what Frank Harris did overall, and he didn't even have to throw like godlike numbers. What I like about what Frank Harris has done in the last few weeks, and to me, I think this is growth. And this is something that we need to see from a quarterback that we think could play at the next level, right? Because we do think that Frank Harris could be at the next level. You've been talking about it. You want him on the, your dang Giants, even though your Giants are 5-1 and one right now. Come on. But with that being said, look at what he's done. We, he's come from a guy who you want to buy the Frank Harris for Heisman hat. You want to buy the T-shirt. He might not be that kind of nominee anymore. Okay, fine. He's still throwing up really good numbers. He's not in the top of the the yards anymore, but he's still throwing up great numbers. But those numbers are turning into more of a field general kind of guy, turning into a fact where he's winning football games. Look at the Western Kentucky game. The offense, now this might be a little bit of Jeff Trailer too, but this is the, the leader of the team is your quarterback. Jeff Trailer is teaching him how to become a field general and become a guy who wins football games. Western Kentucky, they start running the football. FIU, they start out slow. Guess what? He found a way to win football games. And against North Texas, what do he do? He throws a beautiful fade to Clark in the end zone to win the football game with 16 seconds left, finds a way to win football games. General managers and owners in the NFL do not draft players in hopes that they're going to be the MVP of the league. They don't. They draft players in hopes that they are going to contribute the way they need them to to win football games, especially at the quarterback position. You don't see a guy that says, we're going to draft, and first overall, we're going to go for Bryce Young, Alabama, because we think he can be the MVP this year or the rookie of the year. No. They think that this guy, when Bryce Young um, becomes uh, a top-rated draft pick, because he probably will, right? When he becomes a top-rated draft pick, those guys feel like he will be a quarterback that can successfully take this football team to where they need to go for years to come. That is what is developing here at Frank Harris. One more thing that I have to add, and I give a nod to Jeff Trailer on this one. The last few weeks, especially, let's start off Western Kentucky, because that's where it really got fun. Western Kentucky, they turned their passing unit into more of a running offensive game. We gave the nod, gave the sticker on the helmet to Brady, right? We said, man, how exciting was this that they're starting to run the football? Well, then against FIU last week, we didn't really see Brady. We saw Barnes. We're like, this is great. Fantastic. They're getting everybody to fire in all cylinders. I think that's what we said, actually. I think that's the words that we said, firing in all cylinders. It came into play, and it's very handy that they did that against North Texas because the passing game wasn't always there, although they came in clutch when they needed to in this game against North Texas. But Frank Harris ran the ball great. Brady ran the ball fantastic. And Barnes ran the ball very good in this football game. I believe all of them were over 50 yards at least. I don't think any of them hit 100 but when you have all of them over 50 yards, I believe Brady was close to 85. If you're sharing sharing the rock like that and you're not becoming a one-dimensional football team, guess what we're doing, Steve? We're winning football games. I love yeah. what I saw with UTSA in this one. I'm really excited to see them back on the field. Unfortunately, we're not going to see them this week. But when they come back against UA, UAB, it's going to be another team, a team that I believe that can win out and go 10-2 and two and be in a very good position for a bowl a very nice bowl at the end of the season. Yeah. I want to go back to the trailer Harris partnership. Mm -hmm. He's Frank Harris. Obviously is a good student of the game. Everyone says how coachable as ridiculously talented as he is, how coachable he is. And you pointed out earlier in this segment, how you got nervous because Frank Harris kind of had a slow start against FIU for he sure. Sort of had you know, a slow start against Western Kentucky to a degree. Mm -hmm. 
it plays to his strengths that, you know, when he threw that interception, you could see he hadn't, he hadn't seen that scheme on tape from North Texas, looking at all the North Texas, you know, tape that he watched before this game, because this was a huge game for both sides. You didn't see him force that pass or make that pass across them over the middle again until much later in the game. He, he reacts to what is the situation in front of him. And he's so talented and he has such a talented core around him that he can change without really blinking an eye, how his team is going, is going to score and how it's going to exploit the defense. That is why Frank Harris is, is going to be an NFL quarterback you know, and again, I keep saying I want him to be on my Giants, but I think I'm thinking of a coaching tandem. <laughs> Indianapolis and Frank Reich, assuming Reich survives the season, yeah, that's a that that that's the new luck for Indianapolis. You have Reich there. Frank Harris would just seamlessly fit into that system. It, it's amazing, and I need to give a shout out, and I need to give credit. I've been fortunate enough that Frank Harris's father has sent me some private messages and he has said multiple times, uh, uh, great. You've been talking about the receivers. Don't sleep on Cardenas, the tight end. You know, Frank really depends on him. He, he always there when a big play has to be made and he made a poster child catch that set up the winning touchdown easily. I still don't know how he caught it, but he ran the perfect route it was overthrown a little bit, but Cardenas just literally reached up and with one hand hauled it down for a big deal. UTSA should have had more than one vote for the top 25. And, I'm, and I've been criticizing Cincinnati all season. They're not that good. I will give you the two lane is better than UTSA. UTSA would blow Cincinnati out of the stadium. I'm sorry. I, you know, I cannot it, wait to see UTSA in a bowl game this year because mm -hmm. they're going to play somebody who's not in their conference. And we saw them against Houston, a team, a game they should have won. If this was, if Houston was a game now in the season, UTSA would win by, by two scores. Yes. Uh, I don't know about the Texas game. You know, maybe they take the loss there. You know, Texas game got tough at one point. Sure. The secondary is what killed me in that. And as I've talked about in the past, this front seven was amazing this week. If they had a better secondary, that's my really my biggest gripe with UTSA right now. And that's something they're going to have to fix when they go to the, the bigger, better conference next year. And I know they're going to. That's going to be a focus. There's going to be a lot of issues they're going to have to you know, figure out, and that will be one of them. Uh, probably a main focus, might I add. But this team easily could have been a one-loss football team if that Houston game was a little different in the season. Regardless, you can't take those back. This is a team that can easily go 10-2. and two. They're going to be in a really good bowl game and they're going to put utsa in the map if they're not there yet if you haven't slept if you've been sleeping on them since last season when they won the conference championship well they're not going to anymore because you're going to see this team in a pretty prestigious bowl and they're going to put up some good numbers hopefully they play a power five school and they show them what's up that's what i would love to see i would love to see utsa against a power five school and they show them exactly what's up yeah you, i'm glad you said that because i was about to say at the top of my letter to Santa on top of my list. Okay. I'm saying, Santa, please let UTSA play Penn State <laughs> and, and embarrass them. 
It will make my, you know, all of the gifts you didn't bring me all these years, Santa. Mm-hmm. I'll forget. I'll never mention them again. And I'm going to put them aside. Give me Penn State. Give me an SEC school and let UTSA show what they're all about. I think they can take care of it. I know right now we talk about them right now against uh, they only played one power five school this year, and that's obviously Texas. And that was a tough loss for them. But looking at this team right now, they figure out a little bit about their secondary in the next month or so, head into the bowl season and have a good time because they're going bowling. They got their six oh, wins. Oh, they're going yeah. bowling. And obviously that's not going to be just a, a six team in the bottom of the barrel bowl. They're not going to the Jimmy Kimmel bowl. All right. So they're going to a pretty decent bowl. I mean, they might be in the running for an NY six bowl. I think they're going to be on the borderline. I'd call them a bubble NY six bowl contender. That's, that's how good I feel they'll be, especially if they get to 10 and two, that's the only way they be, they can get to an NY six bowl with two losses. But um, with that being said, they will be in the top 25 when the season's over. They will be a 10, a 10 and two team. I do feel that UAB is going to be their next toughest competition. It's probably going to be their toughest competition for us the year. Yeah. Once they do that, I mean, in my mind, they're smooth sailing. I'm really looking forward to this one. I'm really looking forward to what UTSA has to do. I'm, I'm actually really bummed that they don't play this week because now we're going to have a different topic to talk about um, from our UTSA fans. We don't get a preview for them. We actually got to pick another five for Friday. Um, we don't have one of those automatic bids you know, pop in there with a check mark this week. We'll, we'll have to have a break-in segment because I do have my Roadrunner hat coming. There it is. From the campus bookstore. So as soon as it gets here, maybe we'll we'll break in live and you'll see me take it out of the box and might be a good time to wear it for the Saturday live show. Uh it's it's supposed to be here either Ooh. for five for Friday or for or for Saturday. So I uh, you know I hope All to right. uh I hope to be able to have it. All right, Roadrunner fans, if you heard that, join us in on the Saturday morning live show. Check out Steve and his new gear, checking out that little meep meep. Hit that up. All right. Fantastic. All right, Steve, let's talk about probably the only time on this show today that we're going to talk about power five teams because we're going to dig into the college football playoffs. The picture's starting to come a little bit in the shape, a little bit in the focus, if you will. Um, I know I've been messing with my camera here as you and I have been talking about for, you know, it seems like probably the last 12 hours to get this uh, one hour podcast in. Um, that is coming to focus. Now, we're talking about the college football playoff picture starting to come to focus. We're starting to see certain teams get their, I guess you could call, make your own path, you know, your own destiny. You can set your own destiny. Um, and with that being said, you have teams like Tennessee, who would be Alabama. My, I say is probably the greatest game so far this year. You have Georgia, who has really set themselves up. The Tennessee versus Georgia game is going to be Electric. I'm really looking forward to that one in a few weeks here. Alabama is not a team that is set their own destiny because of that loss of Tennessee. I think that they now we probably will see them in the SEC championship because they are on the weaker side of the division, but I don't think they are in a set your own destiny. I don't think they are not yet. Michigan, Ohio state. We'll see them at the end of the year. One of those teams set their own destiny when they win that football game, right? Especially after we saw what Michigan did to Penn state. I'm assuming we're going to see the same kind of thing when Ohio State takes on Penn State this week. We're definitely mm-hmm. going to dig into that on Saturday. All right. And then you got the Pac-12. We don't really have anybody right now who's going to be in that Pac-12. I think there might be someone, maybe a one-loss team. Maybe Oregon comes back. Who knows? Oregon looked really good this last week 
against UCLA. If they go one loss, win the Pac-12 championship, do they have an opportunity? However, they don't write their own destiny. I would say the only team left is Clemson, who writes their own destiny. But there's one more team who keeps getting dismissed, and I almost did it myself. Maybe I did it on purpose to lead it to you, Steve. In the Big 12, TCU, an undefeated football team, in arguably the deepest conference in football right now, seems to be getting dismissed to be writing their own destiny to being in the college football playoffs. I I just don't understand. I mean, it's been fun because each week seems to have a new team that America wants to embrace. It was Kansas. You know, it's been, you know, up, you know, all of these other teams. I mean, Syracuse was such a good story. Yeah. And quite honestly, they had a really good chance of beating Clemson. That hats off to Clemson. They came back. They got that job. That was done. a great game. That was a great yeah. football game. Right down to the end. I mean, Schrader, unfortunate interception there. But, I mean, they had an op- opportunity to do it. I mean, you could you could blame the penalties, how they were. Some people believe it was one-sided. Uh, I mean, you, you can call it any way you want to. I mean, Clemson won the football game, though. I mean, we've seen worse penalty games, in especially some SEC teams uh, mm-hmm. in the past. So, um, regardless, back to TCU. TCU just finds a way to win football games. They don't panic. They don't get frustrated. They don't go, you know, off script. Okay. It's not, it's not an improv session, you know, with this team where you see a lot of that, you know, in, especially in the SEC, there's a lot of improv going on where people are trying to do something different. They just win football games. Sonny Dykes is becoming a folk hero in Fort Worth. I mean, I mean, and if, and if you think about it, this has to be a redemption year for TCU because they got screwed in 2014. They should have been in that playoff in 2014, but it was all the shiny toys and the flashy toys that got all the knocks and and they and they were they were not included in the playoff. And and that it's one of the probably biggest injustices that have happened, you know, in this college playoff era. And it's not like, you know, you and I have a horse in this race, with, you know, with with TCU. They, they just play great football. They're fun to watch. They have a big-time quarterback in Dugan. And, and it, it's just all the games are entertaining. Right. And that's what you want in a playoff. I mean, you were going through all the top teams. Okay, Ohio State's the best team in the country. I don't care who wants to vote and keep Georgia there. Okay, Georgia is not playing – with the same amount of dominance as they did last year. So stop voting as if you're, you're voting that team in. Okay. And now Georgia's now faced with a, a, for the first time in a while, probably a legitimate threat to them in Tennessee. So, so, so we have the focus, but I wouldn't say it's sharpened. I think we have one of those larger panoramic kind of views on a movie scene Mm-hmm. And, it, and the camera's slowly panning in, but we really don't see the heroes yet in focus. They're there. You can see them, you know, in the background, but you don't really see them yet. Uh, I think Clemson, unless they have a misstep, I think Clemson probably, like you said, controls its shot to be a, a playoff team. I've been saying all year, you can't have two teams out of the big 10. Maybe you can. Maybe you can. Yeah, if Michigan keeps dominating the way they have, you know, maybe you do. Maybe that. Maybe it's not two teams out of the SEC because okay, Alabama's probably going to be in the conference championship, like you said. 
I think they would have to have a pretty convincing win to have them, to have the committee put them in the playoff. But again, it's a shiny toy thing. It's a ratings thing. It's what, who do people want to watch? You mentioned Oregon. If Oregon can run the table, that's a program that just generates excitement simply because Nike keeps coming up with more and more outlandish uniforms for them. And, 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 and they play an entertaining brand of football. TCU, please, please, fans, you need to make your voice heard here. You need to get on the message boards and call in shows and hold up signs at game days, even if you have to travel to whatever the game day is. I mean, I mean, game days at Jackson State this week, right? Yep. Okay, TCU fans, get your Horn Frog signs up there. Get some of this Deion Sanders show uh, stuff off the thing. Put your signs up there. Let people know that you are the best team in the deepest, and I will say the best conference top to bottom in America. So Easy. if you're that best team, you have to be in the playoff, not just the conversation. You need to be in that playoff. And I don't see any team stopping them over the, over the remaining five games. I just don't see uh, West Virginia has too many injuries. I, I you know, I, I just don't see it happening. When you have a conference like at the bottom of the barrel right now, Iowa State, who has beat a Big Ten school in Iowa, who's not having the greatest year, but still, who has played very well against other top teams in their conference, like Baylor, like Texas, and they're at the bottom. West Virginia, who beat last year's Big 12 champion just the, the other week, Baylor. You can't tell me that's not the deepest conference in the league. So I'm with you 100%. I'm not 100% with you thinking that Ohio State may be the best team in the country, only because I don't think I've seen it yet. I feel like when you can... I feel like it's just like our Michigan conversation the last couple of weeks where we are like, okay, is this the time we're actually going to say this is where Michigan will finally prove themselves? We said it with Maryland. We said that with, uh, I can't forget who played between them. And then Iowa, State. Iowa, right. And then Penn state um, with Ohio state. We said, okay, we're going to see that with Iowa. And then Iowa really, you know, crapped the bed with their offense. So it's like, okay, maybe we didn't get to see that. We've seen flashes of good, and flashes of very bad, really just the only time against Michigan for the Nittany Lions. And I know you're hating me say this, but Penn State's not an awful team this year. They're not awful. They're, They're going to be <laughs> – they are going to be Ohio State's toughest competition until they meet Michigan. So now I think this is the opportunity for Ohio State to prove they're the best team in the country. I'm not going to give them that nod yet because I do think that – they have a little bit more to prove based on who they played. That's all. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying they're a bad football team because I do think they, uh, you know, probably next week when we do talk about, um, our, we are on Monday mornings and we talk about the games from the Saturday, that'll probably be the first thing you say, well, Ohio State's the best team in the country there because they're probably going to do it to Penn State, what Michigan did to Penn State. Might even be worse because, I mean, they, they were, they beat Iowa worse than Michigan did. So it might even be worse. That's the assumption, right? However, back to that TCU conversation. I really do think TCU has to go undefeated. Well, sure. To be in the conversation. I think the only opportunity for a one-loss football team is probably an SEC team. Maybe one of those Big Ten teams from Ohio State or Michigan if their only loss is from that one, and then the other team goes undefeated. That might be the only team. But those two conferences, I think, will take it over TCU. 
I think if you have a one-loss Alabama who won the SEC championship, you're getting in. And, and then you might still get a one-loss Georgia or a one-loss Tennessee. And then in that case, you probably have an undefeated, let's just say Ohio State wins that one. And then if Clemson goes undefeated, they're in. So you got two undefeateds and then two one-loss SECs. I can see that being a scenario. Another scenario could be, what if Clemson loses? Maybe in an ACC championship. Maybe in your favorite Notre Dame, right? They look good this year. Um, <laughs> no. But there's an opportunity that Clemson could still lose a football game. ACC championships aren't anything. Like Wake Forest could come back. You know, Syracuse could have a comeback. Both those games were good games. They came down to the very end. Adjustments could yeah. happen in an ACC championship. Could make it happen. If Clemson's a one-loss team and TCU's a one-loss team, who do you give it to? I give it to TCU. Yes. Because I think Big 12 is a better, tougher conference. But that is the only option in my mind. Now, take me back one more step. If TCU is a one-loss team, if Clemson's a one-loss team, Neither of them probably make it, right? Because they're going to hand it to probably Michigan or Ohio State, that one-loss team. That That's a crazy scenario here. It's Unless it's like, unless TCU wins the Big 12 championship, then maybe they'll give it to TCU because they're the one-loss team that won their conference instead of the one-loss team from the Big 10 that didn't. I mean, that is probably the only option here. My What I'm trying to get to after this crazy jumble board here, you know, I got I got the pins and the, the red string and the blue string going every which way. TCU's got to be undefeated if they want to make the college football playoffs. Right. And Texas think, is their toughest test left before getting to the Big 12 championship. Who will probably have to play the pokes. Texas is the toughest on their schedule. They got Iowa State who plays a, a different kind of football. I don't know if they match up that great against Iowa State or maybe if they match up well against Texas Tech. And we saw what Texas Tech just did last week. I mean, they might be on the rise. But I do think overall, looking at the schedule where they sit right now, Texas is their toughest toughest team. I just talked about three of the remaining games and saying it might be a challenge. That's how deep this conference is. And if you have to tell me, you have to go through the gauntlet of from the ceiling to the basement of a team that could beat you. I mean, if we look at these odds, if you took Ohio State versus the bottom team in the in the basement of the Big Ten, the money line, the, the spread would not be minus eight and a half like it probably is if you got a West Virginia versus TCU right, right. now. Right, just wouldn't be. It wouldn't be that case. This conference is absolutely outstanding. And if you can go undefeated in it, you deserve a place at the table. Out of curiosity, and I, I want to keep talking about TCU, but I but you, you came up with so many different scenarios. Yeah, they're fun. Can you see the SEC getting shut out? Not after this past week. I thought there was a scenario at one point. Right. And we we're kind of talking about it. I threw, threw a little hypothetical over at you in the DMs when UCLA was still undefeated. And we still had an undefeated Syracuse. Um, I guess Syracuse really doesn't come into play here, but really it was with the undefeated UCLA. You know, because what if UCLA goes undefeated? What if Clemson goes undefeated? What if Michigan goes undefeated, let's just say? And then what if TCU goes undefeated? There's four undefeated teams. And then what if, let's say, Georgia loses to. Um, Tennessee and then Alabama beats Tennessee. So then you get all one loss teams in the SEC after the SEC championship is over. And then you have four undefeated teams from other conferences. That was the only way I thought that scenario could happen where you had four undefeated teams left with UCLA losing. I think that's out the window. Now I think SEC has punched their ticket to the college football playoffs to at least one team. We're probably going to see two. Let's be honest with each other. We're probably going to see two unless TCU goes undefeated. 
I think TCU is SEC's biggest problem right now, and they don't even play them. It's the fact that you know you're probably going to get a Clemson in, and you're going to get a Big Ten team in. It's going to happen. It's going to be Michigan, Ohio State, and it's going to be Clemson if they if they do their job. Like that's it. You got two of them in already. TCU is going to rain on the SEC's parade if they go undefeated because they're not going to get a one-loss team in if you have an undefeated team from the Big 12 this year. What has Georgia done in the last four weeks that makes them to be the number one team in the country? That Ohio State has gotten better. Again, do they play cupcakes? Yes. Lots of frosting on those cupcakes right? early on. But they're just so ridiculously deep and talented and they've done what they needed to do week in, week out. Georgia has kind of sputtered and spit and stalled. Oh, shoot, I, I didn't get it in gear. Let me start it again. And they eventually do get in gear and then pass, you know, pass the team. I, I you know, I just don't see it. And it, God forbid if Tennessee if Tennessee would lose before, you know, they would they would play Georgia. Uh, I mean, I think Georgia gets exposed. In a, in a conference thing, and then I and I just don't know. Tennessee's got a gauntlet in the next two weeks. They got Kentucky, and then they got Georgia, right? To answer your question with Georgia, and I think they've done more than Ohio State this season. They put a whomping on Oregon in the first game. Now, don't get me wrong. That was the first game of a new head coach, the first mm-hmm. game of Bo Nix and Oregon. We've obviously seen a brand-new Oregon team. You know, this if this team, if Oregon and Georgia played each other, this week, if it would be a college game day, by the way, I don't think that game ends the way it does. I don't even know if Georgia wins that football game right. if that game ends right now. But they did it. They won that. So you got to give them that nod. They beat South Carolina very nice, who South Carolina is really starting to look good right now. So it looks like they're benefiting from playing teams early that didn't figure it out yet. Because Shane Bieber's got uh, – Shane Bieber, I'm going to be almost saying that wrong – um, <laughs> I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get your, all everybody's just pissed off at me today. Um, they got that team fired up. They're what 25th in the nation now. I don't agree with, I think Liberty, but, right? Yeah, right. Five, I mean, right. But regardless, right. um, and then they beat Auburn, who, although I've been crying saying that Brian Harson deserves to be gone, he's not yet. He's kind of got that team looking okay. I will say, okay, there have been moments where they've looked okay. Those three games are significantly tougher than any other team that Ohio State's played for. That's why I'll say that they deserve it over Ohio State right now. That's it. Next next week after they beat Penn State, I don't have that argument anymore for you. I don't. Oh, fair um, enough. With fair that enough. being said, Georgia plays Florida this week, and that's always been a tough game for Florida, or for Georgia, I should say. And Georgia's, the spread, they're giving them 22 and a half points. I mean, I'm slamming. I mean, right off the bat. Well, I mean, this is gonna be a game we talk about later on the weekend, but I'm gonna get that spread in now because that that points are coming down. You know, it's gonna come down. It's gonna get closer to you know probably negative eighteen or something like that. Play it now because they're not gonna lose by that much. It's not gonna happen. I mean, Flores can give them a run for their money. This is one of those three thirty CBS games. This is one of those mm-hmm. games you pay attention to. Yeah, this is one of those ones that you're like, okay, you know, this is where we. This is where the Anthony Richardson NFL draft stuff starts happening. This is where that happens. Yeah, I love these scenarios. We could talk about these for days. We probably could have a full episode on them. Now, this is how cool these ones are. But let's not do that. Let's move on a little bit here. We got a couple more topics to talk about. Let's jump down to your neck of the woods. I know something you've been paying attention to. And you had one crazy week in the FCS, Steve. 
one crazy week. Take me through it because I'm pretty sure I heard that there was a record and it had to do with two points and it wasn't two point conversions. It was on the other side, the safeties. It was the damnedest thing I have ever watched watching college football for as long as I have. The only thing that I can compare it to is, and, and it's the anniversary is, but it's actually as we record today, the ball going through Bill Buckner's legs and the Mets coming back and winning. I mean, oh. one safety, they're going to happen. You know, you, you know, a punter gets you down in territory, something happens. There's, there's a missed, you know, a missed blocking scheme. Okay. One, two, that's just bad luck. You know, I, I, I they had four, four safeties. You know, they say fool me once, shame on, you know, shame on me, fool yeah. me twice. Shame on you. What happens if you, you know, fool you four times? What happens there? What's that? I, mean? Yeah. I, <laughs> in this case, it means the FCS is some of the most entertaining football out there. Yeah. You, you know, again, you know, big sky, Missouri Valley, they're the dominant, they're the SEC and big 12 of the FCS. Okay. Well, you've got so many good teams, you know, up and down, but it, it was, I, I, I was watching it and I'm like, I'm, I'm not seeing this. This did not happen. That was the margin of victory in essence for Weaver state. So now where they were kind of starting to make their case to inch up into the top one, two or three things. Now, they've fallen back a little bit. Montana, who everybody was arguing all year was going to be the, should be the number one team in the country. Mm -hmm. We're getting all kind of first place votes. They've lost twice. They've lost two games that they should not have lost. So they they have fallen back. South Dakota state remains up the top. The new South Dakota state, because South Dakota state, when they were second in the country, never got first place votes. Now the number two team in the country, Montana state hasn't gotten any first place votes, but they're, they're the second team according to the FCS NCAA standing, the AP coaches poll. The team that really impresses me is Sacramento State. They, you watch them, and it's like this is a number one team in the country. Sacramento State is the TCU of the FCS. Ooh. That's what we just talked about, TCU. They find a way to win. They dominate the teams they need to dominate. They don't make mistakes. They got the only first place vote that was not given to South Dakota State. But, you know, Sacramento State is, is making a case. Uh, I would not be surprised if they leapfrog Montana State. And if South Dakota State stumbles for some reason, and I don't really see that happening, but if it would, and Sacramento State keeps firing on all, on all cylinders, uh, there's going to be a lot of debate as who the number one team going into the playoffs is going to be. There is something I need to talk about. I know that you're going to get upset about this. We talk about this all the time. Jackson State, undefeated Jackson State, is the number five team in the country now. Now, I have a lot of respect, and I have always made it a point that when the rare time those games were on, even as a kid, like with Grambling and you know, SWAC teams, I, I respect the traditionally traditional black colleges and their athletic programs, you know, in, in essence, they're the Ivy league, if you will, of uh, traditional black colleges. Right. Which you follow the Ivy league as well. Princeton right. Fan. right. Right. Just because Deion Sanders is your head coach, that does not give you brownie points 
or strength of schedule adjustments. They haven't played anybody. Okay. They played Campbell last week, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they did. And Campbell's a pretty good football team. Won 22 to 14. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Did Deion Sanders suit up? Last time I checked, he did not. Okay. Just because you have a celebrity coach, this is not America's Got Talent. Okay. This is not, you know, the mass singer. It doesn't matter who's taken off the mask. Oh, there's Dion. Wow. wow, wow. Okay. Just because he's your head coach and he's a good coach. Don't get me wrong. He's a good coach. They are not number five team in the country. It's an insult to a team like Holy Cross, which is seven and oh. They're number eight in the country. Okay. They're in the Patriot. The Patriots a better conference than the SWAC. Definitively a better conference than the SWAC. Right. You know, they, they have a coach that everybody's raving about at Holy Cross and Bob Chesney. I mean, they, they have a quarterback that's that's played his way. Sluka, he's playing his way into the Walter Payton Award, which is given it's the Heisman Trophy, in essence, of FCS. He's played his way into consideration of that. Holy Cross plays basically mistake-free football. They had a, a little bit of a rough bump against Lafayette last week. And it was, it was a lot closer than it should have been, but still Holy Cross is getting the job done against the teams they need to beat. And since we talked about the Ivy and the SWAC being equal, I mean, not only academically, there's a lot of comparisons, but strength of football conference. Why is Princeton the same record of Jackson state number 23 in the country and Jackson state is number five. And the reason for that is number 21 or who used to wear 21 Deion Sanders. That's why I get it. It's the store. It's a great story for college football in general. That's where game day is going to be. It's a great story for traditional black colleges, finally getting some recognition. They really haven't gotten that since uh, Eddie Robinson retired at Grambling. Great story. Great stories do not make you a great team necessarily. And I really think that the sports writers are just all enamored. And again, I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Okay, I'm absolutely not. But the FCS, to have a game day, that's a huge story. How do you get a game day over some of the other games that are on the slant? You have Deion Sanders coach team be number five in the country in FCS. And I, it's, I'm sorry, it's just flat out wrong, bordering on fraud. That's a fair way to look at it. I will say that, you know, Deion's son, Shadur Sanders, has, has looked really good. I mean, some people are, are saying that he deserves Heisman uh, nominations. I'm interested to see this football game. I have not seen them play this year. I'll be honest, I have not. I'm going to watch this game against Southern. It's at two o'clock. <clears throat> it fits the bill. I'm also going to watch that Sacramento State game because it's a nine o'clock game for us, and and I'm really looking forward. And they're playing Idaho, a team who beat my Montana, right? Yep. A team that I was uh, you, excited about. So your Grizz, I'm, yep. I'll be really looking forward to those two games. I'll, I'm going to give Jackson State a little more benefit of the doubt than you, just because I do think they do have some some top prospects who they have probably stole from some power five schools because of the Deion Sanders effect. Right. But I will say, and I will agree with you that their conference is, is rough. 
I wish they would put in a, a power five. I wouldn't say power five. That's a bad way to say it. A tough FCS school. Like how great would it be if we had them play South Dakota state? How great would that be? We might see that in, um, in a national championship that could possibly happen. I don't know if that, if they get the nod, they might go to the celebration bowl instead. Cause I think that's a SWAC versus uh, another team in, um, and that so maybe they don't go to the national championship or maybe they get both. I'm not really sure how that works with FCS. With that, regardless, I wish they had a better non-conference schedule so that we could actually see that this team is is really what some of these guys are talking about because we're not really seeing that. Yeah, Campbell. Okay, Campbell's been a decent team. We talked about them earlier in the show about maybe yeah, Minter. They're ranked. Up. They're ranked right. nationally. Okay, sure. But they're not one of those teams that we're talking about day in and day out. South Dakota State, North Dakota State, Montana, Montana State, uh, you know, Sacramento State now, Weber State, Holy Cross. We're not they're not one of those teams. If we just saw them play one, I would just want to see them play one of those teams. And if they put the herd on like they've done every other team in their conference, then I I will never have an argument anymore, at least while. Deion Sanders is there doing his job and bringing in those top prospects because he is really doing a great job with that program. When he does leave, I, I'm I'm worried that that program declines very fast. Hopefully, it's a jump start to you know HBCUs. Hopefully, that's the case. But I, I feel like that's going to be one of those like, hey, we we did this, we're moving on, and 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 you know, obviously, I'm sure his son will follow. Who else will follow as well? Transfer portal is a, a crazy thing. It's a it's a the crazy thing. Well, see, that's the catch twenty-two for even a non-power five FBS school scheduling at Jackson State, because there is not the tradition of excellence year in, year out. So yeah, it's great. It's wow, we can sign Jackson State, but smarter ADs realize Deion Sanders is not gonna be there all that long. So why Without Deion Sanders, is Jackson State a draw now? They are not. And you have to look at your schedules, even within the FCS, because of all the conference realignment going on in the FCS as well. A lot of these schools, in order to keep their rivalries, can't waste a game on a Jackson State that won't have Deion Sanders. If, let's say, Montana or North Dakota State or South Dakota State still wants to play Youngstown State. Yeah. That's they can't thing, yeah. because of all the conference shuffling and how you have to now with larger conferences, you have to have more games there. You've got a precious, maybe one game that you can slot in there, but you get it. So why gamble that away and give it to Jackson state for a home and home? Cause in essence, you're, you're not going to have the draw that you think you're going to have. If Deion Sanders does move on. Very good point. Yeah, that's a very good point. I will say this. If Deion Sanders does move on from Jackson State, whoever replaces him will be a huge name. It will be a big name. I don't think Jackson State is going to just go from a Deion Sanders to uh, an up-and-comer and hope that he can just carry on what Deion started. I think that they're in it for the long run, and the Deion Sanders portion, the experiment, whatever you want to call it, because I think he is going to be a head coach in the FBS next year, a Power 5 school. Whoever goes to Jackson State after Deion Sanders will be a huge name, will be a name that we are probably talking about next year as well 
in, in the top in the rankings of of the SCS. And they'll probably continue it on, and that'll probably save some of those transfers, some of those big time recruits that Deion Sanders brought in from transferring out because they'll be excited for a brand new coach. I think that's the only way some of those top prospects that came in because they wanted to be coached by Coach Prime uh, to even stay. So I do think that they are going to have a big name coach come in. They're probably already talking about you know contingency plans because they know it's bound to happen. I mean, we've we've heard his name how many times come up? Right. Well, as soon as as soon as a coaching is fired, Georgia Tech, well, Colorado, with Arizona State. You know, we've even t- heard him talk about with Nebraska, with the Big Ten. So, and then of course, you you know my hot take. I think he's going to be the next coach at Auburn. Auburn, yeah. Well, I, you know, again, for programs like that, I think it is important. You've seen it a lot on the basketball side, both men's and women's really top African-American recruits going to the traditional black schools. And now suddenly those programs are being recognized in prestige. So it may be specifically, you know, in the MEAC and in the SWAC, they're trying to, they're willing to spend the resources above what they ordinarily would be to, to make a make it profitable rather than just keeping your head above water. It might be worth it as far as a long-term plan to have big names keep coming in. And I, I honestly, I hope that happens. I just think in this particular case, they're doing a disservice to the FCS as a whole by putting all of your eggs in the Deion Sanders basket, knowing that that's a very short lived uh, experience that you can profit from and enjoy. Let's see how they face against Southern here. That's the game they're taking on um, for college game day. They're five and two. They're the other strongest team in, in that conference. And this is the game for them to, to go for college game day. If you're going to pick one for Jackson stay on the schedule, this conference just needs to get stronger. I mean, if we, we weren't, we wouldn't be having this conversation if Jackson state was in a, a tougher com- conference, right? If Southern wasn't the only tough team in the conference, right? And we're going to probably see Jackson State put the hurt on Southern, and then this is going to be even more of a disparity between this conference. So let's see how they face. If Southern puts on a good show, um, okay, we might can have a better talk. Or if Jackson State completely blows the brakes out of them, maybe we talk about, okay, they do deserve being the top because uh, Southern's the best part of this conference. And this is the best they got. Regardless, um, I think we might be seeing an undefeated Jackson State this year. If that's the case then I can't really, you know, if you go undefeated in college football period, you deserve to be ranked. Now, now how you get ranked, that's up to you. Um, we've already, we talked about this in the past. If you're undefeated, you deserve to be ranked. How high you get ranked, that's really up to the portion. Does Jackson State make it to the one or two spot? That is something that we might see at one point, Steve. I know it might upset you because of the strength of schedule, but that might be something that we do see. It'd be interesting. We'll see what happens. Let's talk about the MAC because let's cue you're Mark Morrison, my friend. Return of the Mac coming next week on Tuesday. And with that being said, the University of Buffalo, the Buffalo Bulls. We haven't talked about them too much this year, other than an FCS team, Holy Cross, might we add. Beat them on a crazy Hail Mary. And then really after that, they just turned it completely around. Five games in a row on a winning streak just to beat Toledo after coming back 24 points in the fourth quarter to win that football game. It was looking very bleak for them going into the fourth quarter. Very bleak, might I add. And UB turned it around. I know, 
I know my friends in Western New York are very excited about the University of Buffalo Bulls. Uh, I've I've got to start listening and paying attention to Paul Peck again, a, team, a guy that I used to pay attention to all the time growing up in Western New York. Sure. Still, still doing it for the University of Buffalo. The leaders of the MAC now. Very unexpected turnaround, but wow, how did this happen? I think it's it's a unit that just believes not only in themselves, but they believe in the playbook and and ha- and and in practices with Maurice Lindquist. I think I think they just buy in totally. They don't ever seem to lose their confidence, even when again they were zero and three. They lost their first three games. You'd read, you look at interviews or, you know, uh, you, you'd read it in the paper. Nobody seemed uh, or disappointed. You know, I, I think we're better than this and blah, blah, blah. But they never were down. Their shoulders weren't slumping for three quarters. Okay. The best team on paper in the MAC is Toledo. Yes. You know, certainly offensively, but they're the best team in the MAC. They have the most talent. They have an, an a terrific quarterback UB just they got they they did what they had to they got a big interception at the end of the game right at the goal line to make sure that Toledo didn't break their hearts in the end sort of like we were talking about UTSA and North Texas North Texas had their hearts broken okay Mm -hmm. I mean their spirit is broken they're a good football team they're well coached their spirit is broken and they're, they're going to just have to find a way to limp through the rest of the season. I mean, they, they could still go to some kind of a bowl. I think North Texas is good enough that they can get some kind of low-level bowl. Oh, but, sure. Yeah, but UB, against the best team in the MAC, shut up all of the doubters. Oh, yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. They, they've beaten some MAC teams, but, you know, when they were really – but they lost the Holy Cross, you know. Again, Holy Cross, another testament to Holy Cross being higher in the FCS standings. But to do that in the manner that they did shows that UB, okay, we're pro- this is probably the prelude last week for what the MAC championship game is going to look like. I think UB now has the confidence where, and they, you know, and the swagger where, where they're not going to let themselves get beat. I'm not saying they're going to win pretty, but. You know Maurice Lindquist. He's a, he's a hell of a coach. I mean, he, he was he was on the staff at Michigan. Getting him there, I think, was a huge windfall. Lindquist at Michigan plays a lot of MAC teams early in the year, so he was familiar with rosters and programs. So it really wasn't too much of uh, him having to get in, in step going from a Big Ten school down down to a MAC level program. I think it helped him because he knew the conference pretty well, at least a, a bulk of the conference. A lot of transfers from the Mac go to big 10 schools as well. So it, it was, it was, it was a team win and that's what I think makes it special. And I'm, I'm so happy that this is happening. You know, again, you, I mean, you're from Western New York. I lived in Western New York for several years. I have two very close friends that are just beside themselves that this turnaround has happened. And I'm so happy for them. And the fans, you know, college sports fans in Western New York are terrific. They, they really are. They are so loyal. It doesn't matter what the weather is. doesn't matter what the win-loss record is. They turn out and they support their sides. 
And that's what makes this UB turnaround story so terrific. And for them to have that fourth quarter comeback, wow. All right, everyone, that's going to do it here for Slasher U, this college football podcast for Slasher Sports. Thank you so much for listening and uh, enjoying my nice, sick voice here. As you can tell, it's starting to fade out. As always, we're here to give you content every day, college football and college basketball. We'll be back here again with another episode very soon, hopefully tomorrow, as we continue on with college football content. And remember, we have college basketball content out now. We have a couple previews appearing, ACC, Big East, Big 12, Big 10. They're on the feeds as well. Check them out um, in their podcast feed or on our YouTube. Remember, that's the best place to find us over on YouTube where we specialize content. If you're looking for a specific team, to start digging or search for your team, you probably will find Slasher U. Go ahead, click on that video, hit a like, leave us a comment because that's exactly what we want from you. We want to hear exactly what from you. Um, for example, we just had a, a really good comment on our Big East video today talking about how we shouldn't be sleeping on Georgetown, but I'm pretty sure we talked about sleeping on Georgetown in that one. Will they get a conference win? Will they won't? I don't know. Some people think that Georgetown's going to be a better team in college basketball. And listen to us to see what you think we – what we thought on that one. Um, I'll give you a little hint. We weren't very, weren't very nice, um, but uh, check that out regardless. That's just how we are. We will give you what we think. That's what we're here for to give you our thoughts on, on our sports here. we give you a breakdown analysis in a way that hopefully no one else can. So you enjoy and value our content, but Steve, thanks for joining me again. Once, once all it's been, a, it's been a long time since we met, uh, you know, since we talked, it's been a whole what week now. Yeah, um, absolutely. We got dig back in. Hey, I, I want to put a quick plug in. Uh, I'm going to launch uh, a show called What You Talking About. Very short, but we're going to take a look at a lot of the college programs. I want to focus a lot on women's sports, some of the non-revenue generating sports. I hate that term, but it, it's a reality. Uh, and, and we're going to talk on this first episode about what makes being a fan of college sports so special. So hopefully when you're checking out all of our other great contact there on our YouTube channel, you'll be able to check out that as well. Yep. Steve's very own. What you talking about? Obviously a nice little play on words with our good old slasher. You that's going to wrap it up here, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back here with another episode soon. Take care.